Well, we are in the season of Epiphany, and looking at Matthew's Gospel and looking specifically with a view toward how does God reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, both in the person and his ministry and yet also in, in his teaching. Uh, we started this series with uh, the baptism, the story of the baptism of Jesus. We'll end it on the 19th uh, when Patrick Vaughn is here to preach for you on the Transfiguration Sunday. But in between, we've looked at the passage about the temptation of Christ, the way in which he is our trailblazer. But today we move toward his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of the sayings of Jesus woven together by Matthew, the editor. And it begins with the Beatitudes. And I'd like to just start with kind of a word about their structure or form. They use the word blessed, and it's a Greek word, markarios, but it's really translating a Hebrew word, ashar. And so it's the same word that you see at the beginning of the Psalms in the first Psalm, happy is the one who walks not in the way of the wicked. It's that sense of blessedness is a sense of, of well-being, of being on the, the right road, if you will. It's a, a designation of a sense of the rightness of life, that things are going like they were meant to go. And Psalm 1 is an example of that when it uses that word happy. It's using that word ashar. Well, the same word is used repeatedly in, in uh, obviously in the Beatitudes, and each Beatitude begins uh, with that word makarios, blessed. It's been translated a number of ways, but I heard Eugene Peterson speaking once, and when he wrote the message, he wanted, instead of the word uh, blessed or blessed, he wanted to use the word lucky. You're lucky if. And uh, his publisher basically said, uh, let's not. Which surprises me that he didn't get his way, but uh, uh, it's a way of kind of understanding that, that word in, in terms of modern parlance, that word lucky really means blessed. It means that sense of well-being. Wow, I feel like uh, I'm in just the place that I, that I ought to be. You know, that light changed right at the right time. I was lucky. You know, that, just that, that sense of, of well-being that's being talked about. And what I want to point out here, though, is, is that whether you use blessed or happy or lucky or whatever word you use, the things that follow that designation of blessedness, of well-being, that statement, you're in the right place if these things are true, the things that follow the word blessed are kind of mind-boggling. Really? I'm blessed if I'm poor in spirit? Really? I'm blessed if I'm persecuted? Really? I'm blessed? And Jesus is taking us down a road here and giving us very different descriptors for well-being or the things that could lead to well-being. But he's saying if you're experiencing these things you're probably on the right road. And so let me read uh, the first four Beatitudes, Matthew 5, uh, 1 to 6, and we'll take the rest of the Beatitudes next week. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Would you pray with me, please? Lord, show us the road that you call us to. Open our hearts to the experiences that open our hearts to you. And help us to find that sense of blessedness that you promise along the way on which you are taking us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. John Calvin begins his uh, institutes with the, the statement that knowledge of God and knowledge of self are the two keys to growing spiritually. Interestingly enough, one of his contemporaries, in fact, they probably studied together at one point in Paris, is St. Ignatius of Loyola. And Ignatius says virtually the same thing in, in his writing, that knowledge of God and knowledge of self are keys to spiritual growth. There's a gift in knowing who we are, of being in touch with mind and body and understanding that identity, that reality as a gift from God. To live a life that's in touch is to live a life informed by a clarity, a, a kind of knowing, and it therefore can put us on the right road, help us to examine the, the hungers that are born of what God put in us, as opposed to the things that we're trying to use to mask those very hungers. When someone is in touch in these ways, they have a deeper knowledge and, and kind of a humorous example of this that I want to give you is that I know of no person in my experience, and as a male, I, I do not know this experience, but when a woman is pregnant, a woman is very much in touch with things that she's not in touch with when she's not pregnant. She's in touch with a hunger and the fact that there is this child that has invaded her and suddenly she becomes much more acutely aware of things than otherwise. I, I laugh at this at times because when Marianne and I were uh, experiencing her pregnancy with Justin, we used to joke that the word now was key to our communication. Um, <laughs> we were driving along the 110 freeway in Southern California, headed back to Pasadena. We were in downtown and she says, Dave, we need to find a place now, pull over. And usually that meant hunger or having to go to the bathroom, but either way it was now. <laughs> And I understood this very clearly, that she was in touch with the reality that I was not in touch with, and asking her to be in touch with any other reality was foolish on my part. And so I remember this one time, and we, we laugh about this all the time, but we were right at the off-ramp when I heard the word now, and I just swerved, and I thought, where the heck am I going to go? And then suddenly the Bonaventure Hotel appeared in front of me in downtown Los Angeles, and we didn't use valet parking, but I let her off out front and went and parked and she took care of what she needed to. And then we, I think we got something to eat and we just kind of laughed about it. But she was very much in touch with what she needed and when she needed it. And she's become for me a kind of icon of, of that truth of, of just being honest about who and what you are and, and what you need. And I think that that sense of, of immediacy is something that the Beatitudes is encouraging us to. 
The first four Beatitudes are, are about the blessing of self-knowledge, the awareness of need, uh, uh, how an experience of emptiness can lead to fulfillment. And none of these things are things we would go looking for if they were commodities we were thinking about buying. But what all four of these things do is they lead us to the path of fulfillment. They're catalysts that help us to gain a, a knowledge of God. They are an experience of something that we know needs to be addressed now. And so we go looking for the thing that God is offering to fill that emptiness. There are really four descriptions of hunger. And as I talk about those four descriptions of hunger, I want to read Eugene Peterson's take on the Beatitudes from the message. I think he really gets it on each one of these as in putting them in a a modern idiom he helps us to understand what it means to be poor in spirit what it means to be meek and so we begin with that first beatitude blessed are the, the poor in spirit and peterson says in the message you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you there's more of god and his rule it's like in the Psalms when the psalmist talks about the waters having come up to one's neck, that you're hungry for something that you yourself are not able to find and not able to fill and not able to achieve for yourself. You're poor in spirit, aware of a kind of spiritual poverty. And when you're aware of that spiritual poverty, who else is there to cry out to but the creator of your spirit, God himself? It's an illustration of what Augustine says at the beginning of his confessions when he says, you made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Peterson's take on this. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is about knowing the, the presence of an absence. It's about experiencing a loss, a loss that you're not going to be able to necessarily recover. It's an awareness of an emptiness and something that something or, or someone close to you who is gone and, and you can't bring that one back you can't recover that thing that has been lost and so you ask yourself the question how will i find consolation how will i find comfort and the answer comes when we understand that we find comfort in the arms of the one whose love for us can never die and will never be withdrawn and then Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And this is my, my favorite of Peterson's interpretations. I, I think it just, it just set the whole thing on my head. You know, it set me on my head. It set the whole image on what we think of the word meek. You know, when we think of the word meek, we think of someone retiring and kind of inconsequential and sort of suffering quietly in the background. Or you think of something weak or unassertive. But Peterson just really flips that and he says, you're blessed when you're content 
with just who you are, no more and no less, that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed, in other words, when you're in touch with your true self, when you're in touch with the person God created you to be and you rest in that, when you stop trying to be all that you aren't, when you stop paying attention to others' definitions or others, what others need you necessarily to be or others' defamations even. When your soul is intact, you are comfortable in your body. And I think, friends, we live in a society right now that just majors on trying to make us uncomfortable in our bodies so that we'll buy what will make us comfortable, we think. But Peterson says you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's not a retiring, wimpy person. That's a confident person. <laughs> When your soul's intact, you're comfortable in your body and therefore suddenly realize that you are enough and that God has given you enough. And then finally, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Peterson's take on that. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the, the best meal you'll ever eat. You know, that word righteousness, I think, gets a bad rap. We hear the word righteousness and we in no way associate it with a hunger for God. In fact, the people that we associate that word righteous with are the people who know so much about their own rightness, you can't imagine them ever being hungry for anything. They're so confident in that they know the right way that there's none of that sort of meekness, if you will, that question, that humility that says, no, this is really about something more. Righteousness isn't about me being right. Righteousness is about me being in right relationship with the one who made me. Righteousness is not a reason for arrogance because of success at keeping the rules. Righteousness is the humility of knowing that we are nothing apart from a relationship with the one who made us for a relationship with himself. Righteousness is about resting in a right relationship with God and receiving and resting in God's embrace. And we're lucky if we found that relationship and its fulfillment. Because we'll find a source of fulfillment that our striving can never achieve. So if I was to summarize the, the first four Beatitudes, it would be simply this, happy are the hungry. At one level, it makes no sense because hunger is something that seems to need remedy, that doesn't lead necessarily to the things that, that are promised here. Emptiness is uncomfortable in our first experience of it, and we want some way around it instead of through it. But you're lucky if you know what you're truly hungry for. 
And sometimes it's only sitting with that hunger for a while that you realize what you're truly hungry for. If you're in touch with that hunger, that hunger that your, your maker gave you for himself, then you'll begin to find that right road. Let's go back here at the end to those words from the 81st Psalm that Connie read earlier to us. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will fill you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I will satisfy you. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to the experience of that hunger that longs for you to fill that space of emptiness within us. And then help us to rest in the knowledge that there's nothing that will take that satisfaction away. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.